We've been doing a series on the life of David, and if you remember, we started, it's our fourth in this series, we started the first week talking about David's calling, that David's called from a very sort of ordinary life into the purposes of God. We reflected on that, and we were reminded that God indeed calls each of us in our very ordinary lives into God's purposes as well. And there's a reflection there of what happens in our own lives. And the second week, we talked about work, that David's first assignment as king is actually to get a new job. And he goes and he's playing uh, the harp or the lyre for King Saul, who's lost uh, the favor of God and the favor of the people in his disobedience. And we were reflecting on the fact that uh, God also calls us to work and live out his peace and his order in his life, to live out the life of Christ in our workplaces also. And the third one, we talked about David and Goliath and about how uh, in the face of terrible, uh, insurmountable, seemingly odds, the terrible giant of Goliath, uh, David is able to respond with the imagination that God had given him. He sees the situation right. Whereas Saul and the rest of Israel is cowarding uh, in the face of Goliath. Saul, uh, David has a, a different view and that's because he's, he's been with God and he can see what God wants to do in that situation. So that's where we've come. David's uh, been coming through the ranks, as it were. So he's just had this major victory over Goliath. And this week I want to talk about friendship. Uh, David and Jonathan. The plot really thickens at this point. And you'll notice uh, a lot of different sort of things going on. What's going on David, what's going on Jonathan, what's going on in Goliath. Think for a moment with me just about the scene as they're coming in from these battles. In verse 6, as they were coming home, David returned from striking down the Philistines, and the women came out, they're dancing, they're singing. They're so excited about David. Saul's with him, right? He's with the king. And yet everyone's singing David's praise. And as you can imagine, Saul becomes really terribly jealous uh, quite naturally, we might say, if, uh, if you've ever been in a situation where you felt you were the one who kind of deserved the praise and the person under you or over there got all the praise and you went, wait a minute, what about me? Um, this is what's happening in Saul's heart also. Uh, he, David has a heart of people at this point, and Saul realizes that um, he speaks better than he knows. He realizes that David actually... Um, is in a better position than he is. So take a look at verse, uh, what is it, verse 8. This is, a, this is an example uh, that happens often in the Bible of people speaking prophetically better than they realize. This happens a lot in the Gospels. Uh, but he says, they described to me the ten thousands, and to me they described thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? Yeah, exactly. He has the kingdom. Because he's the king. And, and God's put him in that position. Saul hasn't quite caught up to it. So look at verse 10. We get to this point where he's raving in his house. I imagine him just sort of pacing and uh, screaming obscenities, punching the wall, maybe. And he's got a spear in his hand. And this sort of growing vengeance, it kind of congeals into this really bloodthirsty uh, kind of bloodlust against David. And so David's playing his harp as he does. I can imagine, imagine it a bit like this. As Saul's sort of pacing, just furious. And the servants are like, we should probably get David. He's the guy that kind of calms him down. And so they, you know, they call for David, and David comes in, and he's got his spot that he usually sits in, and he sits down, and he's like, oh, 
of the song I've been working on. Um, he pulls out his harp and he starts to play. And uh, at first, uh, Saul feels that sense of soothing that is meant to come as David plays, and then he resists it. And David looks up as he's playing the harp and he sees the muscles in Saul's arm start to clench as he has the spear. And before he knows it, he instinctively ducks to the left and the javelin goes flying over him and pins him to the wall. And David, what's happening? And before he can think, he, he starts running and he turns around and Saul's prying the javelin out of the wall again. And David knows, I have to get out of here. And he's, he's booking it for the back and uh, he hears, hears that whistle of metal go by his ear and he misses the second time. And David runs out into the courtyard, and off he goes. And uh, Saul's fuming mad. Uh, it's quite dramatic. And uh, this is a decisive turn in David's story. It's the turn from, from favor. He's had a lot of favor. Favor with Goliath. Uh, favor with Saul at first. Favor with Samuel. This is the turn from favor to enmity. It's the... God's love and God's calling in David's life remains, but now David encounters betrayal and hatred. Now, I've never had someone try to kill me, but I've had people really upset with me, uh, people that were angry with me, and sometimes for a reason I couldn't explain, didn't know why, they just weren't. And for many of us, what David's going through here is our reality also. There was a turn at some point, perhaps from favor and from love and from joy to enmity or betrayal or hatred. Maybe someone abused us physically or emotionally. Uh, maybe you had a coworker or a boss and uh, their words started to feel like spirit throws after a while. So we, like David, we're going to experience hatred. Any of us who've been around for a little bit, um, you'll know this. We experience anger towards us. We experience teasing or bullying or backstabbing from others. And perhaps even actually more so as Christians. Jesus says, if you remember in Matthew, he says, you'll be hated by everyone on account of me. Uh, John 15, he says, if the world hates you, remember they hated me first. So there's a sense, folks, that as followers of Christ, we actually should expect that turn from favor to enmity. The question for us is not whether we're going to experience hatred, but how, how do we respond to it? What do we do when that happens? It's not about whether or not it's going to happen, but what do we do when it does? Put another way, how can we, as Christians, if you're a Christian here this morning, but how can, how can we as Christians, as people of God, respond to a world that, that criticizes and undermines and, and attacks the Christian faith? And as Jesus says, not just the faith, but Christ himself. There's really two options. You can return the hatred back to the person uh, who's eating you. Or you can look to God for his wisdom and his grace to sustain you. And learn to actually kind of love that person. That's what David does. He turns to God in the face of Saul. And God actually answers his prayers by giving him a friend. And this is Jonathan. Jonathan enters the story at this point. Jonathan's the friend in the worst of times. He enters it in verse 18. And we read, uh, chapter 18, we read right away 
that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. They're kindred spirits. <coughs> They're brothers. And Jonathan makes a covenant with David. He says, I'll be your friend. And by making a covenant, he's saying, I'm going to be your friend regardless of the circumstances. My friendship with you isn't contingent on whether it works for me or not. I'm going to be your friend regardless. And he's going to have to actually live that out quite soon. I'm going to be beside you on the road no matter the circumstances of life. Um, goodness, we need these people in our lives, don't we? Take a look at what Jonathan does. Look at verse 4. He stripped himself of the robe that was on him. He gives it to David and his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. I mean, what's going on here? Right? I think there's three things actually going on in how Jonathan uh, makes this covenant with David. The first thing is it shows a great humility. Um, think for a minute. Who's Jonathan? He's Saul's son. What's that make him? Prince. He's crown prince. In a sense, by taking off his robe, taking off his his sword, taking off the garments of uh, being a prince, he's kind of abdicating his right to the throne. He's saying, actually, uh, I'm going to be under your authority and your leadership. I'm going to lay down my rights, and I'm going to commit myself to what God's doing. Jonathan sets aside his, his status and his position, sets aside his, his potential wealth, gains, as he would as a prince, and he gives it all to David. It's incredibly humble of him to do this. The second thing is it's, it's greatly pleasing to David. So not only is, is Jonathan kind of symbolically abdicating the throne, but if you remember, uh, I think this scene is held up in contrast to another armoring and clothing scene. What happened right before Goliath? What does he do? Saul tries to put his armor on David. Right? So Saul, Saul tries to armor and clothe David, but he's doing it with the intent, with kind of a, a wrong intention. He's saying, well, I kind of want you to do it my way. And actually, if you think about it, when you go up there, maybe the people will think it's actually me. You're going to look like me. Right? Saul's attempting to put his own ambitions on David, but in this case, uh, and David declines that gift, but in this case with Jonathan, David kind of gets his first proper armor bearing, his first proper clothing as a king. And Jonathan gives the gifts for no other reason, reason than to bless David. He doesn't have any ulterior motives. As a friend, it is good when we get to bless one another without saying, um, I'm going to do this to see what I can get. Uh, I mean, you know, this, this works for me. I get something out of this, and so I'll do this for you. But I'm really kind of waiting for, for somebody to come back to me. It's not really being a good friend. And here Jonathan does just that. He just gives it, gives it to David. And David's actually clothed for the first time like royalty, which is really neat because the first time he's actually kind of clothed like a prince is coming from Saul's old bloodline. So there's kind of this great dramatic irony going on where Saul is refusing to acknowledge who David is. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan's got it. And the third thing that happens is, as Jonathan does is it's incredibly faithful. Because as much as he gives his robe and his bow and his belt and his sword and all this, that actually doesn't receive the focus, right? With that, we, we read that, but it's not like 
that becomes the center of chapter 18. Well, the center of chapter 18 is, is David and Jonathan in this section. The focus is all on their friendship. So Jonathan makes a covenant with David, and it's incredibly faithful. It, it's blessing David with no thought of what I can get out of this, no thought of return. And it's greatly humbling, because he's setting aside his own status uh, to knit himself with his friend. Uh, what a gift. This is an incredibly good friend. I don't know if you've had friends like this in your life, uh, or maybe you're being called to be a friend like this. Um, th- this is a high calling here. A great covenant that he's making. Friend, friends, a true friend acts with humility, speaks blessing, and will remain loyal and faithful. And Jonathan lives this out for David right here. It's beautiful. And like I said, for Jonathan, faithful in this way, that the situations of life aren't going to change his commitment to David. He's not going to just give up on David when it no longer suits him. He's made the covenant. He's going to be with him through thick and thin. It's the same principle that exists in marriage. So you make a marriage covenant, you're saying, I'm going to be with you through thick and thin, regardless, excuse me, regardless of the circumstances. And we actually make a point of saying the variety of circumstances you may face, right? Through better or through worse, through sickness or through health, for richer or for poorer. We're big, you know, we're, we make a point of saying, regardless of what happens in life, this covenant, this, this, this choosing of this relationship and this loyalty and faithful, faithfulness to one another, that's what carries the day. Regardless of what happens, this is what's going to carry the day. That's, that's what we do in marriage. And that's what David and Jonathan are doing in their friendship. He's saying, I'm going to be with you regardless of what happens, and even if it means uh, a real turn in our lives from good and blessing, I mean, you know, they're in the royal courts, things are going well, they're winning lots of battles, things are looking up. But Jonathan's saying, no, I'm going to be with you even when, when this goes sideways. And it does right away, doesn't it? Right away. I think friends, friends are kind of an overlooked aspect of our spiritual journeys. Um, for a lot of us, we get this sense that being a Christian is, is kind of this just individual me and God kind of thing. And that's true. You have a personal relationship with God. Uh, that's, that's the idea. But it's always meant to be lived in community. There's nowhere in, in the New Testament where you get this sort of lone ranger Christian. This person who says, well, it's me and Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need anyone else to tell me what to do. And uh, I'm just going to go do my own thing. You just don't see that. It's just not part of God's intention. The, the idea is that we're the people of God together. And, and it's reflected here, too, that God calls us into community, calls us into friendship. We need good friends along the way. We all do. None of us can go it alone. So I want to ask, kind of halfway through here, uh, start thinking, who are the friends in your life? Who are the people that have, that have been with you not, not comparing them to Jonathan. This is quite an extreme thing Jonathan does. But who are, who are the friends that you've had along the way? Who are the people that have, that have influenced you, the people that have been with you? Uh, maybe it's family members, but the, the people that have stood by you or blessed you, uh, even when they didn't stand to gain anything from it. Think about that. And, and then start thinking about maybe God's calling you to be that sort of friend to someone else. Who are the people in your life that you know 
uh, God's put on your heart to come alongside. So, so ask, Lord, is there someone that I'm called to be this sort of a friend to? And yes, it might cost something. It might mean laying aside a certain status, a certain position. Uh, it might mean giving up the things. But for the sake of friendship, it's so worth it. Friendships are holy gross. They're holy because good friends, good friends are a beacon of God's grace, they're assurance of God's goodness, even when the road gets tough. That's what David and Jonathan have. And so they get together, and uh, even in the midst of Saul's kind of murderous rampage, David and Jonathan remain friends. It's astounding. And, and together they work to actually try and understand Saul. They, they kind of want to know what's best for him. Um, we didn't read this part because the, the next three chapters are all kind of about this whole exchange. Uh, but after the first few attempts on David's life, Jonathan actually is able to talk Saul down. Uh, he, if you look at chapter 19, verse 4, he tells Saul, let's not sin. Don't sin against David. Don't spill innocent blood without cause. It's not worth it. You know, Dad, stop. What are you doing? And Saul listens and he swears, as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan gets to, he talks his dad down. And there's a, there's this moment that because Jonathan stands in the gap between David and Saul, uh, Saul undergoes this temporary repentance. And actually, Jonathan actually gets to bring David back into the courts, and, and there's almost this sense of, of uh, reconciliation that happens for a little bit because of Jonathan. Really. Um, but it doesn't last. It doesn't, doesn't last. Saul descends again. Um, it, it, it starts as sort of an irrational madness to kill David. And becomes more and more rational as time goes on. That it, he actually is choosing this. He's not just crazy. Um, six times in chapters 18 to 20, Saul tries to kill David. Three times by spear. Twice by uh, sending him into dangerous battles with Philistines by promising his daughters in marriage. <coughs> it's a little crafty of him. And once, when none of that works, he sends a, sends a death squad out. And after all that sort of exhausting fleeing for your life six times, it's still Jonathan and David. Jonathan doesn't back down from this friendship. They're able to, able to reconvene. And uh, turn with me to just flip your page over to chapter 20. Maybe it's page 2, don't know what your Bible looks like. Um, but turn to 1 Samuel uh, 20. Look, listen to what David says after all these attempts on his life. You hear the sadness in his voice. What have I done? Verse 1, what have I done? What's my guilt? What is my sin before your father? This is him. And he seeks my life. What have I done? Why is he doing this? What's going on? Maybe you've asked that question at some point in your life too. Like, what's going on? Why do I deserve this? What did I, what did I do? Why has this hatred or this betrayal come my way in my life? Like, everything was going so well. David doesn't really get an answer. And sometimes we don't get an answer either. But we are given that opportunity to respond. Do I become like Saul and throw spears back? Or do I 
her friend. Someone will stand with me. Someone that will remind me of God's grace. And I'll lean on that friend's shoulder. And in turn, you remind me of Jesus' faithfulness as well. Jesus is actually that truest friend, isn't he? He's the one that says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Actually sounds a little bit like Jonathan, doesn't it? I'll be with you through thicker thin. Jesus does the same thing. I'll never leave you. I'll be there. We're reminded that God is able to take even the darkest moments of our lives and he can redeem them for his glory. God can transform the most uh, villainous plan to take a life and, and actually turn it for good. God can take the death of his own son and transform it into salvation life for all creation. God's really good for us. God's good at taking the, the lowest points in our lives and, and actually healing us and bringing life out of that place. Not because he's, he's malicious or vindictive or he wants that to happen. No, far from it. But God is capable of even taking terrible parts in our stories and bringing life from them. As we wrap this up, take a look at this. We're told in uh, in 1 Samuel 18, right at the beginning where we were, verses 1 to 3, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved his own soul. We got that at the beginning of chapter 18, right? And then chapter 18 and chapter 19 and a lot of chapter 20 are filled with these details of Saul's six uh, attempts on David's life. And in the last attempt, Jonathan actually helps David escape. And we get to this verse, 1 Samuel 20, verse 42 right at the end of this, this cycle of three chapters. What does he say? It's Jonathan again. He says, Go in peace, for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, between my descendants and your descendants forever. What's going on? It's like the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is signaling something for us. In his writing, he puts Jonathan's friendship at the beginning and the end, as book ends to Saul's six murder attempts. You've got Jonathan's covenant at the beginning, and Jonathan's covenant at the end. Folks, friendship is held up at both sides of evil. Because it's it's friendship, it's it's goodness, it's God's faithfulness shown to David through Jonathan that actually brackets and binds Saul's attempts at evil. You see what I mean? Literarily, you get this sense. God's friendship and faithfulness is at the beginning. God's friendship and faithfulness is at the end. The evil can't spill over. It's contained. It's held. It doesn't overrun God's goodness or grace. The friendship brackets the evil. Evil can go this far, but no further. It's contained. 
God's goodness binds the evil. God's faithfulness hedges the evil in our lives. It's interesting. Massive amounts of energy and resources spent, right, trying to kill David. This huge political power against this, you know, the little shepherd boy, right? It's spear versus harp, which perhaps is not so different than the world we live in today. And how does it end? Saul weaker and more distraught than ever, and David stronger and still befriended. At the end of all these chapters, the evil hasn't actually diminished David, but it has diminished Saul. David is bound by that covenant friendship of Jonathan, which is that living reminder of God's goodness and grace that, that holds us in and keeps the evil at bay. Evil still exists, but it's not given permission to With a friend at our side, even when we're faced with tremendous evil, we also get to be held by the grace and the assurance of God. He holds us. It doesn't mean the evil doesn't happen, but He holds us in the midst of it. Keeps us afloat, hedges us in, lets the grace take, take the, the prevalence in our lives even in the darkest of times. So we are, and we will be, criticized, tested, teased, avoided, gossiped about, cursed, snubbed, (coughs) stabbed in the back. David was. And as followers of Christ, we will be. The question is, Do we respond to the the forces and the people who hurt and hinder us, the people who seek our deaths? Do we respond with enmity in turn, hatred in turn? Or do we wrestle with it, let it shape our faith, and let let it lead us to lean on God's goodness in the middle of the storm, whatever it might be? David gets to lean on the friendship of his brother, and all of us need a friend like that. All of us are going to face stuff. But with a, with, a, with a friend in your life, you get that beacon of God's goodness, that God's got this, that God's book ended your life, at the beginning and at the end. And you need not fear. So as we wrap this up, I was reminded, as, as thinking about that, this moment of David, that Jonathan's at the beginning, Jonathan's at the end. There is one who brackets and hedges the evil in all of our hearts and the evil in all the world. And his name is Jesus. He hedges and brackets. And we can rest in him, we can come to faith in him, we can know that actually the happy friendship of being in Christ.